You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. You can open your Bibles with me once again over to Ephesians chapter 4. I think we're going to wrap up this little study we've been in on living a life worthy of his calling. Uh, I think we'll be wrapping that up this morning. So you can go over to Ephesians chapter 4. You know, we've been in this for a while. This chapter begins with uh, Paul exhorting us to live a life worthy of our calling into the kingdom of God. We discussed that. The first part of the chapter goes into that and a little bit of what that looks like. The middle of the chapter, Paul talks to us about the fivefold ministry gifts, which are given to equip every one of us to do the ministry that God gives us. In other words, to fulfill the calling that he has on every one of our lives right? So those gifts are given. We talked about giving ourselves to the anointing that's on those gifts and feeding on uh, what those gifts bring us. And then as we go on, and as we started uh, two weeks ago, as we were in this, we started talking about what Christian maturity looks like. And I'm going to go ahead and, and read this passage to us again. I'm going to start in verse 11 in the New International Version. And I'd encourage you to you know, be ready to take some notes, write down whatever God really impresses on you from this. So in Ephesians 4.11, it says, It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people or equip God's people for works of service so that the body may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, So at the point that we have full-on unity and we're all mature and have grown up into the fullness of Christ, at that point we won't need those gifts anymore, okay? But that I don't think is yet, all right? So verse 14, the result of all this, it says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. All right, so I just want to review just a little bit of what we talked about out of verse 14. We talked about Christian maturity and and brought out the fact that it is not described as just a lot of Bible knowledge. Okay, that's not what Christian maturity is about. I'm all in favor of lots of Bible knowledge. It's a good thing. It's also not defined as just moving a lot in the gifts of the Spirit, although I think we should be moving in the gifts of the Spirit more and more and more. All right, but that's not what maturity is about. Maturity is about character development on the inside, because as we grow in character, God can trust us more and more and more with what he needs to have done. He can trust us to care for others when we become less self-centered, for instance. As we, as we grow in faith, he can trust us to do greater and greater things for him. He can give us more to do, right? And, and, we can, and by that, I don't just mean more to do to please God. I mean to fulfill the calling that's on our life and to partner with him in ex- the expansion of his kingdom on earth. That requires, he's doing it through us. So that requires this, this growth. It's, you know, this whole thing with God, it is a family. He is our father. We are his children. And he is growing us up and maturing us. And again, that uh, the, the one word for child of God that we have, uh, the Greek word huios, is a word that describes an adult, mature child who's partnering with the father in business and representing the father uh, out in the marketplace. That's what that word means. So it's very active. 
Well, you, all of you who are parents know that there's a process to kids growing up and being able to handle more and more and more responsibility. And us, when we do that, we glorify God, number one, and we really, it's real pleasing to him. Any of you who are moms or dads, you know what that's about. You enjoy it so much as your kids grow up and get into new things and take on responsibility and become adults. It's a it's a wonderful thing. You miss their childhood. You do. I don't know if God does. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there's a real fulfillment in that for you. It's the same thing with the Lord. So uh, it says here that in verse 14, that as we grow to maturity, it says we will no longer be children. And I brought out last time that the word for children here speaks of an infant who can't speak yet. This is saying we will no longer be just babies in God as we grow up in him. Infants who can't speak yet, sucklings who can't digest solid food, who need continual care from someone else, who have to have frequent diaper changes, and these are not the adult children who participate with God. And and so this scripture implies to us that it's just fine as new believers. We all start out as babies in Christ. We all need a lot of diaper changes. We all need to be fed with milk. We all need all of that when we're babies. It's just that we're not supposed to stay that way. We're not supposed to stay that way as we spend time with God and grow up in God. So the the thing for us to understand is that he will tailor a training program for each of us. He knows each of our hearts. He knows each of our backgrounds. He knows each of our weaknesses. He knows what you grew up in in your family. He knows what things you may have inherited from your family. A lot of those things are inherited through the atmosphere that we have lived in and the atmosphere that our parents lived in. Some of it is DNA, but God invented DNA. So I I I don't believe we have to be bound in anything that would come down through our family. We don't have to be. Those things are there, but we're in a new family. We're in a new kingdom. We're in an entirely new way of life. All right, so we don't have to be bound by any of that. So the Holy Spirit works with us every day through the word, through his presence and input into our lives to train us and to mature us. And it's a little different for you than it is for me because God knows our weaknesses. God knows our strengths. And he's working constantly, if we'll receive it, uh, to grow us up, all right? So uh, again, Christian maturity is defined as not being tossed back and forth. That means wavering, vacillating, indecisive, all right? Uncertain of what we believe, not able to take a solid stance on the truth. Uh, it's, It's this idea where we're constantly vacillating between one thing and another where where we'll hear one thing and and oh that sounds kind of good and we'll pursue it for a while and then we'll hear something contrary either from another either from the word of god or uh or from the world but we will vacillate i'm not sure which opinion i should hold as we mature we will become grounded in the word of god and in that understanding. And we will not allow ourselves to be pushed off of the understanding, the revelation that God has given us. We will, and even the things that we don't understand yet. I don't understand this fully, God, but I'm not moving off of what I do understand. Okay? We are willing, we are confident enough to grab hold of the truth that God gives us and live our lives from it whether the world agrees with it or not. We have, there are a lot of believers today that are honestly afraid to take a stand on truth, on what the word of God says. What is truth? The Father's word is truth, all right? So it's who God is, is truth, and what God has said, because he always speaks out of his nature. It is the person that we see in Jesus Christ. That is truth, all right? That is eternal truth that goes beyond everything that's going on on this planet. When all of this is gone, that won't change a bit, all right? So you get to decide whether you want to live by eternal truth or just float around with the society as they change their mind about things. But we have a lot of believers today that are afraid 
to take a stand on truth because they're afraid they're going to offend someone. And let me just help you with that. If you take a stand on truth, you will offend people. You will offend religious people and you will offend people in the world. Jesus offended lots of people. It isn't what he was trying to do and we shouldn't either. We're not given truth so that we can beat people up with it. But the fact is, if you live for truth, you will tick some people off because they don't want to receive truth. Jesus offended both believers and non-believers. And, and he said, if, if they receive your, my teaching, they'll receive your teaching. If they don't receive my teaching, they're not going to receive your teaching. All right, so this is part of the deal, okay? But, but if we don't stand for truth, who is going to? You know, I read the verses the other day to you that the church is supposed to be the pillar and stay of the truth. It's supposed to hold the truth up. If we don't stand for it, nobody's going to. And there won't be anything on the table for people to receive to come to the Lord, okay? So let me just give you a couple of verses here on this. Uh, there are lots of them. But in, in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking here about the end times in which we live. And one of the things he says, he, he has a list of things. But in verse 10, he says, uh, And then many will be offended and repelled and will begin to distrust and desert him who they ought to trust and obey and will stumble and fall away and betray one another and pursue one another with hatred. And let me finish it. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive and lead many into error. And the love of the great body of people will grow cold because of the multiplied lawlessness and iniquity. Let's just, let's just, there's such a pattern here and I don't want to spend all morning on it, even though we could. But here's the deal. When people are confronted, and, and we'll take this, when we are confronted with truth from the word of God. Maybe the Holy Spirit brings something up to you that's requiring change in your life. And we're confronted. We have two choices. We can love that because we know God is good and we can just say, thank you, Lord, for showing me that. Help me now to ingest this and let it have its full reign in my life. We can either do that or we can reject it. And when we begin to reject what God is saying to us, we begin to open our hearts to deception, always, because we have to justify that rejection of truth in ourselves. And as, as we, so we begin to move into self-justification, which always leads to self-deception and opens the door to the devil. It's just the way this works. And so it says here, many will be offended and repelled. Okay, so we don't like what we're hearing so we're repelled. And it says they will begin to distrust. So it'll affect their faith. You can't, you can't walk in faith toward God and reject big chunks of, of the scripture. It just doesn't make any sense. The scripture is Jesus in written form. I mean, we, we can't do that. Okay, it won't work is what I'm saying. You can do it, but you're going to end up with no faith. So it says they'll begin to distrust and desert. You'll start, this isn't the good kind of desert. This is desert, move away from, all right, the one that we should be trusting. And as we begin to do that, then it says they will stumble and fall away. We just begin to spend less time with God, think about him less. We'll build some other little kingdom in our life, some other way of doing things. We'll try and make our life work through natural means. We will stumble, we will fall away. And then it says they will betray one another and pursue one another with hatred. So pretty soon this whole pattern starts to work a lot of anger in our hearts. Some of the most angry people that I know today are people who do know God, but are resisting him, resisting his word, resisting the call on their life. They're going the other direction. They are sometimes, um, they don't want to give up a certain sin in their lives, whatever it is. And when we get into that, then we pretty soon start to get angry. We start to blame other people. We start to get angry with people around us. It's somebody else's fault. And we see so much of this. We see it societally 
in, in the sense that we have moved so much away from God and his word and his values, his morals, his, you know, the things that he puts forth as life to us. But they begin to betray one another and pursue one another with hatred. And then it says, many false prophets will rise up and deceive and lead many into error. So when we go through all that, we open ourselves to deception. We've got unforgiveness working in our heart. We've got offense working in our heart. We've begun to be angry with other people. That is an open door to the devil. And so we start to pursue and listen to other voices. And, and listen, I'll just say this, not the message today, but the fact that the Bible talks about there being a lot of false prophets in the last days means that there are also true prophets, okay? Otherwise, they'd just be prophets. Oh, there'll be prophets. They're all bad. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible upholds prophets and prophecy, but it says there'll be a lot of false prophets. What does that mean? It just means we have to stay connected to God so we can discern with our hearts what's true and what's error. We can have, you know, we may not even know why, but we can hear something, we can hear a prophecy, and we can go, it just doesn't, it doesn't sit. I don't think that's right. Lord, that's your servant. I'm not criticizing that person. I'm just saying, God, if this is a word for me, please clarify it because I'm, I'm going to just put it here on the shelf because I, I don't, it doesn't bear witness with the Holy Spirit within me. Okay, And so there's a lot of that going on. There will be a lot of that going on. And it says, and then the love of the great body of people will grow cold because of the multiplied lawlessness and iniquity. We live there, okay? It is so hard today for people to love and to continue to love through difficult situations, all right? We, we live in this kind of callous world where you know, everything's kind of turned inward. It's about me. If I, you know, and it's very love and commitment and faithfulness have a difficult time in this, in, in the place where we are. And it's because of multiplied lawlessness. It just means that's just an attitude that says, I don't want any authority in my life. I reject authority. I reject Anything from God and his word to, to the police, to the teacher, to the professor, to the anybody that would have authority, my automatic knee-jerk is to reject it, to resist it. I will resist authority. That's called rebellion. God says it's like the sin of witchcraft. And, and this process comes down to this place and, and that attitude... When you can't submit yourself, then you're, the Bible tells husbands and wives as believers to submit one to another. Okay, it's not one-sided. It's the first thing, we're submitted to God. The second thing, we're yielded to uh, one another in our, in our spiritual walk with one another. And then roles develop out of that and how we live as a team, Okay. That's having a really hard time in this atmosphere. And this is the process that gets it there. Okay, I took way more time on that set of verses, but that was, did you get something out of that? All right, one more. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, the, the time is coming when people will not tolerate or endure sound and wholesome instruction. Okay, they don't want instruction. But having ears itching for something pleasing and gratifying. They will gather to themselves one teacher after another to a considerable number, chosen to satisfy their own liking and to foster the errors that they hold, and will turn aside from hearing the truth and wander off into myths and man-made fictions. Again, we're living there. Okay, we're living there. When, when people do not want instruction. They don't want it from God. They don't want, they want, and, and we've seen the church go this direction for about 20 Years now are better, probably longer than that now, I suppose. It's always longer than I think. Maybe 30 years in the United States. There are whole church systems that are built around the idea that um, to get people in the door, we have to 
We have to not preach anything challenging. We've got to make our messages short. We've got to just do upbeat music. Don't try, you know, don't try and bring people down into that place of real worship and engagement with the Spirit of God because that can be uncomfortable. Uh, don't talk about money. Don't talk about sin. And I'm telling you, there are, you can go to conferences. You can read books. You can get manuals to train your staff. You can do all of this in order to pick up that system because it does get people in the door. It gets people in the door. It just doesn't grow people up. And, and so you can have a bigger church. You can make more money. You can all of that. And, and I mean, it's been going on for a long time because there were a couple of churches back in the early 90s that I believe God put it on their hearts to make their church more about reaching the lost than it was about training up believers, okay? And because they grew in that, and I think it was God's call in their life, then, as always happens, people developed it into a market and a, a system and started to sell it. And, and in that type of environment, you don't get taught anything that challenges you. You know, it's just the way it is. And it's, and it's, I'm not even saying that critically. I'm saying this is where we live. And for a lot of people, that fits because they're looking for something pleasing and gratifying. I love the way it says they will gather to themselves, one teacher after another. In other words, they won't go seek out good teaching. They'll say, oh, I don't like that. That doesn't make me feel good. And so I like that. I'll gather that to myself. I even, that phrase has just been standing out to me as I've been looking at this. They will gather to themselves. They're the center of that. All right. There's no submission. That's gather to yourself. Something pleasing, something gratifying, something that makes you feel jolly every time you hear it. Does that make sense to you? I had, I was in a meeting years ago with a group of pastors and we were talking about the Bible and we were talking about uh, truth, and we were talking about that kind of thing. And this, this, this was here in town. This pastor said, "Well, you don't want to, you don't want to take that too seriously or too literally, because if you do that, this was the quote. That can be kind of ouchy for some people to hear the word. That can be kind of ouchy. It was. I was just. It's that's so far out of my realm. I was just. You've got to be kidding me." But that was the flavor in that, con that was what was going in that congregation. It could be ouchy. It should be ouchy. We all need to be ouched once in a while, you know? And that doesn't mean condemning it, does it? It's just, man, if we're not getting challenged to grow from the word, if we're not running into things sometimes that, you know, God will encourage us. He will strengthen us. He will... He will build you up in who you are in Christ, but he'll also say, hey, look at this. This needs to change. And the point is, we'll grow through that. We'll come into a better place. And if we know God's good, that's a good thing. It's a really good thing. I love being challenged by the word. I, I love it. So anyway, this is, this is kind of the, the context of maturity in Christ. And, and let's go for it. Let's see if we can get two more verses in today. Um, so in Ephesians 4.17, Paul starts to talk about this. He says, so this I say, it's like, here we go into the result of living this life and embracing what God has for us so that we can be out there. We can be equipped to do what he has for us to do. He says, this I say and solemnly testify in the name of the Lord as in his presence, that you must no longer live as the heathen or the Gentiles do in their perverseness, in the folly, vanity, and emptiness of their souls, and the futility of their minds. There are several things there we need to talk about. First of all, when it talks about the heathen or Gentiles, it's just talking about people who either don't know God, so they live apart from God's ways, or they have rejected God, and so they live apart from God's ways. So it's essentially talking about people who don't walk with God in their life. And it says, we shouldn't live like people who don't know God. I mean, that seems kind of obvious. Uh, and yet, you know, here it is. And 
And he says that the way that people don't, that don't know God live is in the perverseness we'll talk about. That doesn't just mean evil. In fact, Amplified brings it out real well here. Folly, vanity, emptiness of their souls and the futility of their minds or the futility of their thinking. That, that word um, perverseness, the King James Version says the vanity of their minds. The New King James says the futility of their minds. The New Living Translation says the, they are hopelessly confused. And the Passion Translation, once again, I love it here. It says, don't live like the unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusions or opinions. Empty delusions or opinions. Okay, so the one demarcation that the Bible does uphold throughout is between people who know God and people who don't. That is called light and darkness. That is, there's absolutely no question that uh, there is a drastic difference between people who know God, who accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and people who don't. If that makes you feel bad knowing that, or saying that out loud, if that makes us feel bad, we're getting immersed in our culture, okay? Because that's the way it is. We are not told that so that we can hate people that don't know Jesus or put them down or condemn them or any of that. We are told that because it's the way it is. And if we want to have our minds renewed and live by faith and live in God, we need to understand that we need to live in God, that there is a difference between those two. And it begins with our minds, with our way of thinking. But this this term... Uh, perverseness, the Amplified says perverseness. It describes something that is empty or futile or devoid of ability. From God's perspective, it is worthless. It's without value. So the thought process and, and the way of life that human beings live when they don't know God is perverse. It's vain. It's empty. It's futile. And from an eternal perspective, it doesn't produce anything. It doesn't produce life. It doesn't produce fruit that, that is eternal. All right. This is a description of human thought and reason without the influence of the Holy Spirit. So we, and especially we Westerners, we really value human thought and reason. And God gave us human thought and reason, but it was always supposed to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Um, so this word perverse, it doesn't mean, doesn't mean they're stupid, doesn't mean they're evil, okay? But their thinking and reasoning is corrupted because of separation from the life of God. Okay, so so that's what Paul's uh, talking about again. And, and so... These thoughts that, that come from human reason without the Holy Spirit, they are inherently deceptive. The, the Passion Translation said delusions and opinions. That idea of opinions is inherent in this word mind that we're going to look at. The way Paul uses the term, it, inclu- it includes the opinions. How do we come up with opinions? Because we go through a process of thought and we decide something works a certain way, and that's our opinion, okay? Well, today, opinions, we're try- we're, they're trying to tell us that our opinions are truth. Our opinions might be truth. We hope our opinions are truth, but only if they're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, they, they become in those thought processes, well, I think life works like this, Okay? Well, if that's not what the Word of God says, and that's not influencing our decision or our opinion about that aspect of life, it's, it becomes a delusion. It's, it's deceptive because it appears logical. It appears to make sense to do it this way, and yet it doesn't agree with the eternal truth. So in the end, it's not going to produce good fruit. And it may take generations for that bad fruit to show up, or it might happen right away in our lives, 
But either way, when we are thinking and reasoning apart from the influence of the Holy Spirit, we are not going to produce fruit that God would call good, eternal fruit. Does that make sense to you? So, so Paul is, he's talking about, in fact, uh, let me just back up Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Okay? There's a way, it seems right. This seems to make sense. But in the end, it leads to death. That's where the deception is. Because we just stop at, well, this seems right. And so we go on that way. There are lots of those thoughts floating around our culture. They're, they're accepted. They're acceptable. People will love you for thinking them. And they don't agree with God's word. All right? They don't agree with God's word. And because they don't, they are vain. From God's and vanity, there means, it means empty. It means futile. It doesn't just mean self-centered. It means futile. It, it, won't, it, can't, it doesn't have any ability. It can't produce things. The way walking in God's thoughts can produce life. It can, it can release life. Okay? So if we don't pursue the renewing of our minds so that we're thinking God's thoughts, we're going to end up just, uh, well, we end up in deception. We end up just kind of going our own way. Does that make sense to you? Okay, verse 18, let's look at it. Ephesians chapter four, verse 18. It says, their moral understanding. So again, this is anybody who's not walking with God, who is not allowing the Holy Spirit to influence their thinking. Their moral understanding is darkened. Their reasoning is beclouded. Okay. They are alienated, estranged, self-banished from the life of God with no share in it. This is because of the ignorance. Remember, ignorance doesn't mean somebody's stupid. It means they don't have knowledge. They, they don't know something. Because of the ignorance, the want of knowledge and perception, the willful blindness that is deep-seated in them. Aren't these happy scriptures? Due to the hardness of heart. So there it is. Paul often brings in the real cause at the end of a thought. Due to the hardness of heart, the insensitiveness of their moral nature. And again, we saw that in that passage out of Matthew that you, you, you harden your heart. You, you resist. Every time we resist what God is saying, we harden our heart a little bit. And then we have to go through a process with the Lord, hopefully, to soften our heart again. So it's tender. It's sensitive to what he's saying. God doesn't shout us down. It's just not his nature. He doesn't beat us over the head. He, he speaks to us. He walks with us. He nudges us. He speaks in a still small voice. He impresses things on our hearts. We need to stay sensitive to what he's saying and doing if we want to walk in the mind of Christ. So let me get this to you. Try to listen to this. Paul uses this word mind in his writing in a real unique way. And he speaks of the mind as the organ of thought and intellect, which is usually what we think, combined with the organ of moral perception. All right, so, so we always talk about the soul. We say it's the mind, the emotions, and the will, and that's true. But what the Bible calls the conscience also exists within the heart, it tells us. It exists within the heart. And it is, a, and they, they use the word organ, it, it is something God has given us that can perceive good and evil. Do people talk about the conscience anymore? When I was a kid, they talked about the conscience a lot. And it would, something would violate your conscience, you know? Well, you can, the Bible says, and this is a whole study on its own, but that that part of us, the conscience, the part that can perceive what agrees with God and what doesn't, that can become, it says, seared, Okay. You know how you take meat and you sear it and it, it closes off the outside, right? So that it keeps the juices on the inside. It says it can become seared. It says our conscience can become corrupted. All right, so that we can no longer discern on the inside good and evil. Okay, and that's, what, that's all the conscience does, but it works in there in the soul with our mind, our emotions, and our will. And when Paul uses the term mind, 
He means that, yes, it's your thought life, it's your intellect, it's your ability to reason, but it's combined with the ability to know right from wrong, what lines up with God and what doesn't. So it's the faculty that God gave man that allows us to perceive good and evil and to think and to reason out and to make choices that agree with God. Bill Johnson has this quote. He always always says, you know that your mind is renewed in a certain area when the impossible looks totally reasonable because you're thinking like God. So it looks, it's impossible on earth, but it's totally reasonable, reasonable. Totally reasonable for that person to be raised from the dead. Totally reasonable for that disease not to be able to touch you. Okay, because that's what the word says. And you have this agreement on the inside. That is called the mind of Christ. And uh, 1 Corinthians 2.16 tells us we have the mind of Christ living on the inside of us. His way of thinking. His perception of right and wrong, good and evil, life and death, dark and light, all of that, it lives in us by the Holy Spirit. We're just here learning how to think a different way. We're learning, and that's what the Bible talks about, the renewing of our minds. This is what it's talking about, is bringing that back into line. So this is, when he says mind, he's not just talking about working mathematical equations, right? He's not just talking about that that mechanical reason that we have, it's coupled with this part that distinguishes, that makes moral judgments, not just from, not just from us, but from God's heart. There are things that God considers right and things that God considers wrong. It really comes down, it's, more, it's less right and wrong as it is life and death. Things that produce life, things that produce death. So Paul tells us in his writings that the mind stands in between and is influenced by the Holy Spirit and our born-again human spirit on the one side. It's influenced by that. It's also influenced by what the Bible calls the flesh, which is like it's the unrenewed part of us. It's the part of our soul that hasn't been renewed yet. And so it still wants to think like it used to think. It still wants to think like the old man thought before we were born again. Okay, it still wants to think in line with the world. Our mind can be influenced by either one of those. And depending on what we give ourselves to, what we pursue, how much of the Holy Spirit's influence we allow to affect the way that we think and the things that we believe, we can either walk literally in the mind of Christ or we can give ourselves over to just base human nature and walk in that, even though we're born again. Even though we're born again. We don't have the nature of sin, but we can still yield ourselves to sinful impulses and thoughts if we want to. Or we can yield ourselves to the thoughts of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? It's just amazing. So depending on what influence is dominating your thinking, we can go either one of those ways. Let me read to you. Are you still with me? Let me read to you out of Romans 8, verses 4 through 7. This is the New King James Bible. Romans 8, verses 4 through 7 says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So there it is. Are we walking? Are we living our lives out of the flesh, the Spirit? Okay. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on, or more accurately, have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, that means the mind that is being ruled, by the flesh, by the unrenewed part of ourselves. The, the carnal mind literally means flesh-ruled mind, right? Uh, those of you who know the word carne know that that means meat. So this is being a meathead, okay? For to be carnally minded is death. In other words, it produces all the negative stuff. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace, Because the flesh-ruled mind, the carnal mind, is enmity. It is an enemy against God. 
It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Okay, so this is important. The renewing of our minds. You talk about the process of maturity and carrying out God's will in your life. You have to have your mind renewed to God's truth and God's way of thinking. And that's a process for, for every one of us. All right. So he tells us back there in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. Stay with me for a few more minutes. He said their moral understanding is darkened. All right. That term understanding is our ability to perceive, to separate, to distinguish, to reason. Okay, to reason. It's the intellect. It's the mind. It's joining one thought to another, reasoning, coming toward a conclusion. All right, so, so moral understanding reasons in line with God's reasoning and comes to opinions and ways of life and choices that line up with God and his word and his purposes. All right? He says, but when, we, when we're separating ourselves from that influence, he says that moral understanding gets darkened. It gets really hard to see. All right? It gets, it gets darkened. All right? And, and so we end up, says their reasoning is beclouded. It gets foggy. The, it's, it's, uh, again, it's not sharp. It's not in line. It's not going the right way. And they end up alienated. I like this term the Amplified uses, estranged. That's, that's right. Self-banished. It isn't that God rejects people who are carnally minded. They become self-banished from the life of God, because they're not going to agree with it. They disagree, they resist, they become hard-hearted, they go their own way, all the while becoming more deceived and thinking that this way makes sense. Doing it this way makes sense. <clears throat> I had a conversation with a guy some time ago online. It was a, you know, a Facebook deal. <clears throat> and it was a discussion about abortion. And I, I don't remember exactly how it started, but we were you know, there were different opinions going on about abortion. And this guy kept saying, and he was obviously an intelligent guy, but he kept saying that, you know, pregnancy is unavoidable. He talked about it in the same way he would talk about somebody getting sick, not that he was putting it in that kind of negative frame, but just something that happens. You just wake up one day and you're pregnant, you know just happens just comes out of the blue and and he kept making statements like that and and so I was saying well the difference here is that you have a choice about becoming pregnant absolutely not he said no you do not because sex is a biological function and people cannot control their sexual urges and so they get pregnant, let alone birth control. That didn't even, birth control didn't even enter in, okay? Any sense of responsibility didn't enter in. But his worldview was that, and I went back and forth with him for a while, but it was that we can't control that aspect. It's a biological function. It just has to happen. So when you get pregnant, you just deal with it, you know? And so, so but I finally figured out we're never going to come to an agreement here. So I said, so do you, just, just curious, do you wear diapers all the time? And, oh, I don't wear diapers. And I said, well, if you can't control your bodily functions, how do you get along in life without diapers? You know, how do you do that? And, and, uh, and then I said, do you just eat everything that you want to eat? Because I knew, you know, I don't mean to offend the vegans in the crowd, but I figured he fell on that end of things just by everything else he had said. He was probably very into health and very into all that. Do you just eat as much sugar as you want? Do you just, well, no. Well, if you can control your appetite, why can't you control that appetite? I understand that it's a strong urge. I get it. But you can control this appetite. I said, do you, do you just drink as much as you want all the time? And luckily he said no. 
And, and, you know, same thing. I said, well, if you can put some brakes on that urge. Why can't so he quit talking to me and unfriended me. And, and uh, you know, anyway, that was the end of that discussion. But it was like, that was one of those cases to me. I was thinking, that is such a classic example of the unrenewed mind coming to reasoning that even people who are pro-abortion aren't going to agree with that, that there's no way to control ourselves at all. I mean, good grief. We're not just a bunch of animals out in the pasture here. You know, God created us with a little more on the inside than that. And, uh, but anyway, it was just to me, it was such a classic example of a thought pattern from an intelligent person that had gone so far off the rails that was totally, totally reasonable to him. And again, I'll just throw this in here. A lot of the way that we get to those places is because we reject God's authority. We reject all authority. Remember how that passage started? When we start, we don't want anybody telling us anything. We want to live, we want to be totally autonomous, what I think is right, and I will live that way. That's an, I mean, that's just a highway to deception. Just a highway to deception. And that's how we get there because it doesn't even make any sense. And you end up, and that's why the scripture uses this term. It says, the want of knowledge and perception, the willful blindness. I love that term, willful blindness. I checked myself for willful blindness because we all start to get, we get our thoughts going. We get our experiences going. We get all these things. And sometimes, I mean, why is it willful? Because God presents truth and we say no. So it becomes willful blindness. I can't see the truth anymore because I have so hardened my heart. I've so become that insensitive to it. So, so if you want it, we're not going to read it today, but Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32 just describes that descent from rejecting God, exchanging God for, for human things, exchanging God for other gods, essentially. And it describes that descent into depraved thinking that happens when we do this. We're never going to fulfill God's call in our life if we're going that way. We want to be giving ourselves to the things that God is saying to us and bringing up in our lives. Let me just read you one more passage and we're done today. I want to read this from the Passion Translation this morning. And this, this uh, begin, this is the same chapter, but I just want to read verses 22 through 24 to you from the Passion. So he ends, he ends all of this discussion. Let's start in, um, actually, I'm going to back up to verse 18. It says, their corrupted logic has been clouded because their hearts are so far from God. Their blinded understanding and deep-seated moral darkness keeps them from the true knowledge of God. Because of spiritual apathy, all right, there's one we all need to look at, spiritual apathy, getting lazy about our spiritual life. They surrender their lives to lewdness, impurity, and sexual obsession. But this is not the way of life that Christ has unfolded within you. I love that. If you have really experienced the anointed one and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. For we know that the ultimate reality or ultimate truth is embodied in Jesus. Verse 22, it says, And he has taught you, to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self life. He's taught you to let go of that, which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from, again, delusions or deceptions. Verse 23, now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you. The renewing of the mind happens through us giving ourselves to every revelation that God... That's why you do practical things like write down the stuff that God's saying to you so you can go back to it. You won't always remember it. You need to be able to go back and meditate on the things that God is saying to you. You need to chew on them to take them in. Okay, so now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious 
Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again. I like that. Recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness. And you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. And he goes on, but we're going to quit right there today. So Paul brings us in this chapter, and you can just go back and look at it all this way from live a life worthy of your, of your calling, which, you know, when you first read it, it feels like, oh, I, you know, that's hard. Then you go on and he gives you the process and he gives you the process and he tells you what maturity is like and he tells you what uh, ig- ignoring, have, being spiritually apathetic or rejecting God, how all that works out. And then he comes down to this and he says, we need to have our minds renewed as God gives us revelation after revelation after revelation so that we can think his thoughts and live his life in this earth. And what a deal that we can even do that. What a deal. Did you get anything out of this? All right, let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much, Lord. I thank you so much that you care enough about us to confront us when we need to be confronted. And you do it with so much love and grace and mercy. And it's so empowering, Lord, that we, we just, I, I just say, and anybody that'll agree with it in this room, we just want to embrace your challenges, Lord, to grow and to change. And Father, we know that if we're alive, we're going to be changing. And Lord, where we have thoughts that are still, we might not even know it, but they're still just contrary. The reasoning that's just contrary to you, maybe we picked it up in the world or through our families or whatever, Father, I just pray that those things shine your light on them, Lord. Show those things one at a time in your process, in your training system, Lord. You choose the, you choose the timing, but Father, we just invite you to shine the light on those things. Bring them out of darkness so that they can be eliminated and rebuild us from the inside out. And Lord, we thank you that we can actually live in your thoughts. And we invite you to speak them to us during the day. Speak them to us at night when we're asleep. Bring friends that'll speak them to us. Bring teaching that'll speak them to us. Lord, we want and crave your thoughts, your truth to be imparted into our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, let's stand up this morning. 11 o'clock and 36 seconds. I think I got up there really early, though. You guys were really patient. Thank you. Yeah, 36 seconds over. Take it out of my three minutes or whatever it was last week. All right, we're going to say this on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin of the world. You guys go out, be safe, be good on uh, what's coming up. New Year's. Yeah, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, whatever. Whatever the next holiday is. And uh, we'll see you next week. Okay, one, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.